Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Ann Reagan, as you step down and uh, for reading the scripture today. Uh, love having folks uh, read our scripture. And so in this special season of Advent, we'll have families uh, who come up and, and read the scripture for the, for the message uh, and light the Advent candle. So uh, uh, appreciate that y'all, uh, y'all do this. And we're going to stay in Luke chapter 1 today. Uh, it is Advent. And if you don't know what Advent means, if, if you know it more as just, well, that's a word, you know, Advent, Lent. Uh, Advent is uh, very historic in, uh, in the Christian uh, traditions of the church. Uh, and it literally means uh, to wait, uh, to wait upon the Lord. So in Christianity, uh, Advent is recognized both in the past because for hundreds of years, uh, Israel uh, waited uh, on the Messiah uh, who came as the, as the Christ child, uh, but also in the present and in the future, we are to wait for the Lord because as Christians, uh, we should, uh, and I hope that you would believe in his second coming. Uh, so Advent literally means to wait on the Lord uh, and to watch for the Lord. Uh, so that for those hundreds of years, the prophets, they were watching for the Messiah, uh, and now even, and I think we've lost sense of this uh, as the church, uh, to watch for uh, the Lord's second coming. Uh, I believe he will come again. I believe not only is that biblical, but that will be a, a physical entering into, uh, into the world as we know it. Uh, and so we, we wait. Uh, we watch. Now for Christmas, uh, actually, Christmas culture, uh, that belief has really been, been changed into a lot of things that, that we think of and know of. I mean, you know, waiting for Christmas. You know, Christmas, some of us, you know, it seems like Christmas uh, never, you know, gets here. Those of us who start preparing, you know, October 1st. Uh, some of us, you know, we're always like watching for uh, gifts. Well, you know, and my kids and, and me too will, you know, package Amazon now. You know, watching, you know, what is it? What might it be? Uh, we watch for the givers of gifts, you know, as our kids, you know, I'm not going there. Uh, you can, you know, imagine the givers of gifts and all that. But so the waiting and the watching uh, is still very much part of Christmas, but it's kind of been turned from uh, the true Christian tradition. And so now, like you, me, uh, this Advent, we're going to be talking about watching and waiting uh, because I think it's very relevant for our lives today. For example, like in every encounter in your life, in every situation, if we call ourselves Christians, are you watching for the Lord's work? Are you watching for the Lord's hand uh, to see uh, what he might do in a relationship, in a situation, in a job? Do we spend our days watching for God's presence. Are we waiting on Jesus? So not just like waiting on him to come again, which we do believe, but like sometimes the Lord will have us in seasons of patience. Uh, and you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not by nature a patient guy, but I do believe the Spirit has cultivated patience in me. So sometimes we ask, sometimes we pray for, we pray for very specific things, uh, or we pray for general things, but God will will work in us a patience, so are we waiting on the Lord? So Advent is definitely not just about waiting for Christmas, watching for gifts. Uh, it's also 
I believe, watching where is the Lord's hand in Christmas Eve? Where is the Lord at work, at church right now? Who is God calling me to? It's also very much about waiting. We pray and we do receive, whether we realize it or not. But very often, uh, God will cultivate this spirit of patience and waiting. And often it's necessary for us. So here, you know, Luke 1, that, uh, that Jeremy and Ann Reagan read, it's a very interesting chapter. You know, I'm always, I've always questioned, because uh, I love the Christmas stories, but why did Luke add this part? You know, he could have just started right at, you know, Gabriel coming to Mary. Why did he add this about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Well, first, you gotta, you kind of got to understand the gospel writer. So gospel is a word that we're saved by grace, not by anything that we do. But the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the gospel writers, okay, those who wrote those gospels, uh, took after, here's a little context for you, took after biographers of uh, ancient Greece and the biographers of that day. So they wanted to write down, like, look, here's what's most important. So when we read the four Gospels, we have to think about, well, for Matthew, for Mark, for Luke, for John, this is what they thought was most important to the community they were writing to. And they actually wrote to different communities. For example, okay, a little context to help you think through this. Matthew was Jewish, and he wrote primarily to Jewish people that's why he added the wise men, okay? That's why I got the story of the wise men, because the wise men, what? Well, they were not Jewish. They were very, very different people, uh, believed at this point to come from like Persia, which today would be like Iran, okay? And so he's saying like, yeah, you're Jewish, but you know, God's grace is for way different folks than you. Mark, if you look at Mark 1, he doesn't really deal with the birth. He talks about the prophet, but he goes right into it because he was writing to Romans and I've always uh, equated Romans of then to like, I don't know, I mean, we're not New Yorkers or big city folks here, but like New York's like, what's most important? I got to get it done. And so Mark was like, it's the shortest gospel. It's going right to the point. John wrote to the Greeks and the Greeks love philosophy and wisdom. That's why John 1 is very much about Jesus' birth, but in a different way. And he talks about the word, meaning wisdom, and that with the the word was Jesus. So Luke here was a physician. Physicians out there. And he gives really the most detailed account of the birth of Christ. And that is because Luke was trying to reach a much more general audience called the Gentiles. Meaning like everybody else, okay? And so he, uh, he, he you know, includes this passage. And, and I, as I've really meditated on it, studied it, I think there's several reasons why Luke 1, this part about Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, is in there for us today. Uh, And I think, for me at least, and I hope for us, uh, it is showing us God's people, God's plan, and God's prophet. Now, it's going to show us a little more than that, but it definitely shows these things. First, it shows God's people, who are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, I say God's people is because they were religious folks. Okay, Zechariah was the priest. Elizabeth was a descendant uh, of Aaron. Okay, and so they were righteous. They were religious. I mean, they were good at that time. Good church-going folks, not just church-going folks, like leaders in the church, in the community, in the in the temple. And yet, 
they had given up. They had given up. They had given up in one aspect of their life. They'd given up on having a child. Elizabeth and Zechariah, I mean, you could, you could add, uh, they were as a couple barren. So uh, I have, uh, I've been fortunate enough, because it's a blessing, uh, to pastor and, and counsel people who have struggled uh, with having children and some who have not had children uh, and members of family. And so probably all of us know uh, what that brings psychologically, emotionally, uh, what that can lead to. So I hope that at this moment you might think about, emphasize, empathize a little bit with Elizabeth and Zachariah. I mean, I think about as a, as a man and as a dad uh, warning sons and, and daughters too, I might add. Um, but that, uh, that, you know, what he was going through, what he was feeling. So I do think that this shows us God's people who are like very righteous and like very religious and trying to do the right things as they make their way in the world. And yet here, there is this part of their life, aspect of their life, that they'd given up. That they'd given up. Yet Zechariah, the name, actually means God has remembered. God has remembered. And so here... Uh, we see that God not only remembers them, but in what this will bring about, John the prophet, and ultimately pointing to Jesus, our Savior, he remembers us all. So it shows God's people. It also, and and this this other part, you really wouldn't know until you you take some time to, to really study and meditate the Bible, but it connects with God's plan. God's plan of salvation. God's plan to to bring Jesus into the world. And it's a very specific plan even, okay? So he sends Gabriel. Gabriel, uh, the angel, and he will come to Mary. And we're going to look at that more next week. Uh, But Gabriel is known as the messenger angel. He comes to bring the message. And so here, Zechariah is going to the temple. He is praying. And there before him stands Gabriel, this, this angel. And he tells him, that he is, his prayers have been answered. Now, we would think that those prayers would mean, oh yeah, he's going to have a child, a son. Uh, but really, I believe, uh, and most folks who, uh, who write about the Bible, they believe that the prayers were for the redemption of Israel. The redemption of Israel. And in the future, the church is the new Israel. The redemption for all people is going to be brought about uh, by him and by Elizabeth, because of the prophet and the prophet John pointing uh, to Christ. But an interesting connection, if you, you may want to turn, you don't have to, but Daniel 9, to talk about God's plan. This is fascinating, okay? God's plan, Daniel 9, to see how it connects to the Old Testament, because uh, this part of his birth is key connecting to Old Testament prophecy. Now, often we look at Isaiah, we look at uh, Micah, uh, we look at Malachi, but Daniel chapter 9 Almost a parallel event happens uh, with Daniel and with Gabriel, which, again, I I find this fascinating. So I'm just going to read parts of Daniel 9. You can underline it. You can note it. You can go back to it. Uh, But Daniel 9, verse 20, it, it reads this. This is Daniel saying, While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, just like Zechariah was doing, And presenting my petitions before Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of God. While I was praying, Gabriel, here he is again, the angel. Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness. 
You think Zechariah was weary? He's not a dad going in, praying. You think being righteous, it gets weary, being religious, saying, God, you had not answered this prayer. Daniel here, in his weariness, about the time of the evening offering, he gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understanding the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteous and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, that would be Jesus, the ruler will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat in different difficult times. I'm going to stop there. Gabriel comes in. You can, you can read uh, the rest of Daniel 9 if, if you would like to. But how does this connect to Luke 1? Well, there's Gabriel, right. There's, there's Daniel coming in praying. There's Zechariah coming in praying. But what's really interesting, the 70 weeks, okay, 70 weeks, again, God's plan and, and how everything, really the whole Bible ties to, not only ties to, points to, directs us to Jesus. That is, that is the plan. That's what everything is pointing to. It's, he is the message. He is the anointed one. But the 70 weeks, okay, so there was six months before, uh, there was six months that Elizabeth, uh, she was pregnant, and then six months before Mary was told by Gabriel that she would be pregnant. Then there was another nine months uh, before Mary gave birth, okay? Now, I'm not a math guy, but you can add these up. Then there was 40 days before Jesus was presented uh, in the temple. All that together, six months, okay, and nine months, and then the 40 days, adds to close to 70 weeks. So most folks think, again, everything tying to back to Jesus, that Gabriel, that this was a very parallel event uh, that Zechariah might have even uh, remembered if he was religious and righteous and knew the scripture. But he didn't have yet the understanding of the 70 weeks or what was going on. But we do now. And so my hope is that it might inspire you a little bit to, say, to see and to say that, yes, all scripture is pointing to. There is a plan. When we give up, God has a plan. And then finally, Luke writes this to show God's prophet. We don't see John as in John the Baptist yet. But this is about... John's birth. And John, uh, actually the word, and uh, it's a nice name, I would say. Uh, no, no bias there. But John uh, literally means the Lord has been gracious. The Lord has been gracious. And so he was gracious to Elizabeth. He was gracious to Zechariah. But it also ties to the prophet Elijah. And I'm not going to point us back, but if you read the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, it's saying one like Elijah. Elijah will come as a prophet uh, to again point people, to direct people to the anointed one back in Daniel, to uh, Jesus. And I would say this too, that before people meet Jesus, there is always a prophet who goes before. In your life, in my life as well. I want you to think about it. Before we truly know Jesus, there is a prophet. That prophet may be a teacher. That prophet may be a coach. That prophet may be a pastor. That prophet may be a friend. That prophet may be a dad, a mom, 
a brother, a sister, a spouse, before anyone meets Jesus, there is always a prophet that goes forth. You're like, well, well, wait a second. What about those folks who just come to, you know, know the Bible? Maybe they're in far-flung places. Well, there were prophets who were convicted to go and reach unreached people and, like, say, I'm going to put Bibles in their hands. So even if they don't, never met the prophet, before anyone meets Jesus, a prophet always goes, well, it's biblical, that's very present day. That's part of God's plan. So for you, and thinking about giving up, because Zacharias, we're about to see someone who had given up, we can all give up. When that happens, I would love for myself too. I mean, think back to God's people, uh, like some of us who are trying to grow, but there are aspects that we've given up, but that God can work in their life, as we see right here. Think about God's plan, and God's plan is perfect. There is a plan. There is now a plan moving towards the end of known earthly history that will come about. Okay? And there are prophets that have ministered and directed you to Christ, and that you can be as well. And that is part of God's plan, being used as God's people. And so when it's so easy for us to give up, may we not forget God's people, God's plan. God's prophets, and that you could, you could be. But I think there's a, another big, big reason why Luke shows us uh, this, this story, this passage. And that is to contrast, and we can't look at this totally until next week, but to really contrast Zechariah with Mary. So I'm not going to read this, but the rest of Luke 1, Gabriel's going to come to Mary, okay? And so Zechariah here, Gabriel comes before him, and Zechariah is like, Okay, that's great. Uh, I'll have a son, praise God. But before all that, he's like, how can this be? Like, we're, we're past our prime, you know? How can this be? Uh, and, and Gabriel then uh, restricts uh, Zechariah uh, somewhat. Now, now, some of you may be like, you know, I wish he would restrict all um, priests or pastors or preachers for a time or a season. I hope not. But uh, he shut his mouth, okay? Shut his mouth. Uh, or maybe those of us who, uh, who talk a fair bit, uh, maybe they're people that you think of. But he's like, because you doubted, you know, I'm going to, you're not going to speak for a while. The thing is, is that Mary later on basically asked the same question, uh, as we'll see, because we're going to go over that passage next week. But the angel arrives to her, just to kind of paraphrase it, says you're going to be a child. She's like, how can this be? Because I'm not even moving into prime, you know? And so, how can this be? But nothing happens to her. What's the difference? And I believe Luke adds this, again, as a contrast, because he's showing, he's showing one person who has given up on an aspect of their life, if not given up on their life. And then he shows another person who is willing to just give up their life for the Lord. And there's a big, big difference and a big, big contrast. Zechariah's heart, and, and you know, you could argue, well, he was, he was older and he'd seen more life and maybe he was jaded, but it was really a heart thing. He had doubt, okay, but that doubt had really closed his heart off to the Lord at work in his life. And so what God saw through Gabriel, he saw this closed off heart to the work of the Lord. He's like, how can this be? As in, he, he didn't believe that really that could happen. Mary, on the other hand, uh, again, as we'll see, and most of you know the story, uh, Mary met Gabriel, 
She's like, how can this be? But her heart, and I believe God, it's the difference of the heart. Her heart was open to like, I don't know how it'll be, but I believe it will be. There's a huge difference in that. So often, and this is really most important today, often we operate, I know this, I've talked to folks, and I've felt this too. We often operate like Zechariah. Like we, we're religious, we're in a religious community, trying to do right and everything, but our hearts, which we don't necessarily show everything, so we may have some doubt, and doubt can be positive, it helps us seek, it helps us talk, it helps us question, it moves us into a relationship, but it's a closed off heart, saying, well, God really is not going to do that. I mean, really, I mean, nice thought, but... So I want to give you a couple examples as we move into this Christmas Advent season. Relationships. Uh, I said something at the beginning. You know, there, there may be some relationships you're not looking so forward to seeing Christmas dinner or, or whatever. But other relationships that you won't see because there has been a brokenness and there's not been any reconciliation. Uh, all of us probably have someone like that, maybe. And our hearts become very closed off to those folks. We're like, there's no way God could bring about restoration. Nice word, pastor, but come on. I mean, the brokenness is just too severe. There's no way there can really be reconciliation. Oh, yeah, we might, if we're Christian, we might have just a wonderful cup of coffee, best cup of coffee ever in heaven. But today, here on earth, no way. That is a closed-off doubt. I want you to hear me on that. So these relationships, yeah, we think of it maybe with a friend, okay, maybe with an old friend, uh, but it may be with a parent, uh, it may be with a spouse, it may be with a child. When God's word uh, that I believe in and Christian faith is all about res- restoration and being made right, and yet sometimes we operate in uh, this doubt that is not seeking and yearning and open, but it's very closed, and our hearts are closed uh, to the work of the Lord. And then also in a church, let's say, you know, in a community. Uh, Many of you here would claim to be members of this community, thankful for that. But often we're like, we we can fall into the trap of Zechariah with our own churches. You know, we've been talking about, if you've connected or if you've heard over the last couple months, Grow 3. That moving into 19, we want to grow in three healthy ways as a church body. Uh, We want to grow uh, in new and different people, uh, which we are. Uh, We want to grow in our giving uh, for needs here locally, uh, both on this property and in this city and out into the world, to have more capacity for the kingdom. And we want to grow in opportunities to go. Uh, Yes, to nations, you're talking about that, but to neighbors too. And so often our hearts can even be closed off with the church. So like, you know, with people we can say, well, yeah, somebody news here, but I mean, they're different. I don't really, I mean, they're not really my social network or or club or or anything like that and you know there's somebody else who they they may not be here who you know what happened to them or maybe this person's not here and um, maybe you know maybe they need to be here maybe God wants them here maybe God's using you as a prophet we can be closed off to whom God has sent us and or we can be like well the church is you know like this but you know well, it's not like what it was, and we're now, you know, 10 years in as a church, and we've been through five locations, so a lot of you, if you've been, you remember us in different locations. Well, it's, you know, what's God doing now? Is, is your heart, is it a closed out, or is it open that God can work with people? 
With giving, you can say, oh, well, you know, giving, and yeah, thank goodness, you know, he finished that series in the fall, and now we can kind of ease up a little bit, and yeah, Christmas, yeah, Christmas time is here. But that connects with a doubt. It's like, you know, I don't know if the gifts God's given me can really be used by the church or for the kingdom. You know, maybe it can be used more, I mean, but a lot of folks tie in their giving. Well, I'm, I'm giving to all my family for Christmas, and, you know, I'm, I'm giving, you know, pastor, and, but giving to the church or to ministries, other ministries, eh, come on. It's a, it's a closed heart. And then going, too, and it'd be like, ah, you know, you can talk about neighbors or good Lord. You can talk about Jackson. You can be like, man, I mean, there's so many needs in this city. You know, blah, I mean, look, we've heard it, blah, 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 but, you know, what good's it going to do, you know? I mean, that's a great story, Pastor. You know, talk about the, uh, the starfish. I mean, what's one starfish throwing it? I mean, it's, it's closed off. Or nations, like, well, I mean, going, man, I'm glad my church, I love the idea of it, but like going to some far-flung country, I mean, how's it going to help me? How's it going to help church? How's it going to, again, those are places, let me say this, those are places I don't want to reside in, and yet I can find myself all too easily inhabiting those places. Those are definitely places that I do not want us as a community, as a family, residing, inhabiting, and yet so often uh, we can. And we're, like Zechariah, good folks, good religious folks, trying to be righteous. And we can give up on different aspects of people, of God's plan, So, what do we do? What do we do? We can have, by the Holy Spirit, and what Zechariah leads to, and what the Lord can lead us to, is an openness. Instead of saying, I'm going to give up on this aspect of life, or I'm going to give up on this aspect of this relationship, or I'm going to give up on this aspect of church, we say, hey, I'm willing to give it all up. I'm willing to give up my life for you, Lord, because you are so great, and I am growing to see a big God, and you call me to love that other person who is different and go out to neighbors and nations. And if it's all about neighbors, then it needs to get more about nations. And if it's all about nations, then it needs to get more about neighbors and that God can work. So in a relationship, and this maybe is the most important point for some of us, but in that relationship with a dad or a mom or a sibling or a spouse or a child or a friend that has a brokenness about it or is just severely broken, and so you're definitely not going to see them or you're definitely not going to get all close over the Christmas season, that there's this openness that would say, man, God can restore that. And, you know, it may be on his time and I can pray for that person. And, and often you can do much, much more in just praying for a person's heart than by picking up the phone or shooting a text out or saying we need to have a conversation. The Lord can lead to that in time, but it first does start with open hearts, open to the Lord and seeing a big God in your heart, in your life, that, you know, it's so much better to be restored and reconciled to be right. And if, if that melts and moves into your heart, then things can really change. Let me say that again. It's much better to be reconciled than to be right. It's much better to be restored than to be right. So all of us have probably had those conversations where we're trying to work it out, and yet someone, we can sense that someone, like anything I say, they're just not going to receive. Anything I say, there's just going to be this wall around their heart, and it's just going nowhere, and pray for it. And sometimes we can be on the, on that, in that position, that nothing they would say, because the hurt's so deep, and the bitterness so deep, and the wounds. But yet my faith... I hope your faith and this word that God can restore any relationship.
and with a church. I mean, yeah, a church, a community, a family, new people. Do we open our eyes to who God has here for us to minister, to be prophets to? Do we open our eyes to see who is not here and that God wants here? And this wonderful, yes, a miraculous season that we try to cultivate opportunities to go and to grow. So yeah, being at church and inviting to church and inviting, wonderful opportunity Christmas Eve, wonderful opportunity breakfast, uh, even just a thank if there's one fire person or one police officer, you can thank them. Hey, you could thank them for saying, hey, thank you for your uh, force for showing up last Christmas Eve when our place got broken into, amen? For real. They were out at 3 a.m. There are so many people who the Lord wants in a church, and we're a church. And giving. Say, like, man, I I just believe, God, you're going to use this. I believe you're going to use it for your kingdom. Your kingdom on this corner represented your kingdom over the world represented. And going. And sometimes, and you know, as you're looking to 19, some people may, may be nudged by the Lord, say, man, this church has worked to cultivate opportunities for you to go somewhere. But if you've gone somewhere, then you may be like, man, this church cultivating opportunities for you to go to your neighbor somewhere and trying to tee us all up and open us to the Lord's work, to seeing a big God. I believe that's what this passage leads us to. I think that's what Christmas leads us to. And the last thing I would say, last thing I would say before we get ready to take communion. God, in Jesus Christ, gave up everything for you. For each of you individually. He gave up. He gave up scripture, the gospel. God, in Jesus Christ, gave up his heavenly throne to come and be with us, Emmanuel, on earth. God gave up everything. God in Jesus Christ gave up a very, very comfortable life for you individually. God in Jesus Christ gave up his, his life physically for you. So if, if the Holy Spirit leads you to like just be there and really think about that and meditate on it and like live there, how could we ever give up on him. And when I say how could we ever give, give up on him, that's meaning how could we ever give up on any aspect of our life if we call ourselves his because we know that God will work through it. Through the pain and through the patience and through the glories and the grandeur of our earthly existence. And all of us will have all of those. And God will work. So I'd ask you, final thing. Most important, I hope you know that God gave everything up Heavenly throne, comfortable life, his very life for you. That's most important. But if you say, I know that, or if you say, I'll dwell on that, or I'll think about that, or I'll ponder that, then think more on this. Where is that area of life where you're like, I've given up? I would argue every person in here, so that's me included, there's an area of life where like, I've given up on that. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I know that, but this area, I've given up. For Zachariah, for Elizabeth, they're going in to pray, they'd given up on that aspect of life on being a mom and a dad. Where's the area of your life where you've given up? Is it your child? Is it your career? Uh, Is it, some of us here inform me, is it your ministry? Is it your church? Is it your spouse? Where, what area have you given up? And I would challenge you to take that area, focus in on that area and say, 
This is the area of life that I'm going to give it all to you, Lord. I'm going to release it to you. I'm going to give up this part of my life to you. And I'm going to look and watch and wait and ultimately give you glory for how you use this area of my life to bring about your kingdom and your glory. Could you do that? Would you think about that this Advent? Because there's an area that you've given up on. And so that area that I dwell on negatively with a very closed off doubt, I'm gonna release to you and give that part of my life up to you. And our God is a restorer. Our God is a reconciler. Our God is a healer. Our God is a provider. Our God is love, Advent. Our God is hope, Advent. Our God is peace, Advent. Our God is joy, Advent. And I believe he'll give you that. I don't know if it'll be this Christmas, or, but he'll definitely give you the release of saying, I trust I can give it to you. And I'll watch, and I'll wait for you to work. He's waiting on all of us to do that. How could we ever give up on him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, just, there, there are aspects in our life that are very real, that are very, that some can be painful, some can be um, uh, conflicting, that, uh, that we've given up on. And I, I just believe that you want to use those, those aspects, those, or even those attitudes of our life for your glory, for your kingdom. So I pray for us as a people, as a community, uh, as a church, uh, that instead of just giving up, uh, we just give it to you. And if we do that, then we do have faith in, in you, Lord. And I pray that we would just watch and we would wait for your, your hand and your work uh, to provide in, in that area of our life, in our life, in our families this Christmas season, in our church this Christmas season. And, and sometimes it may not even be where we want to go or where we, where we plan, but just uh, yes like Mary and yes like jo- Joseph, that there's a sense of release and giving up and just being tied up in this bigger picture of your plan as your people that could be uh, your prophets uh, going to neighbors and nations. I pray that over this church more and more. And I thank you that you gave it all up as we see and as we take communion for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen.